it's very rare that a publisher actually seeks out a writer. So I knew that I could not say no to this opportunity. <laughs> and what's really cool, a cool story about that one is that used to be a drive-in in the um, late 20s, early 30s, and the car hops were guys. Because before, before um, World War II, car hops were actually young men, and they all went off to war, and that's when women became car hops after that. So if it's somewhere new, I'm definitely, I would consider myself being on. Um, my husband or friends know that I'm gonna have to take some pictures, and so they know <laughs> to wait before they dive in. It's the Culinary School Podcast, presented by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Here's your host, James Criange. All right, welcome to the Culinary School Podcast. Today I'm joined by Celestina Block, who is a Culinary School of Fort Worth graduate, as well as the author of the book, Lost Restaurants of Fort Worth. Thank you so much for coming on today, Celestina. Thank you for having me, James. Yeah, so um, you've been writing a, you've been writing about food in Fort Worth uh, for a long time. Um, when did you decide that you wanted to not stop writing columns, but kind of turn those columns into a book? I was actually approached by the publisher of Lost Restaurants of Fort Worth. Um, I wrote an article maybe about five years ago about the oldest restaurants in Fort Worth, and I believe they saw that article. They had Fort Worth on their radar for this particular book, and they found me. And contacted me. We had breakfast at Paris Coffee Shop, and they presented the idea to me. And I knew that's not normally how this happens. Usually, writers seek publishers for their their own book ideas. It's very rare that a publisher actually seeks out a writer. So I knew that I could not say no to this <laughs> opportunity. Writing a book really was not on my radar anytime soon, but um, it happened, and I'm very thankful. I I was super busy at the time, but I knew I couldn't say no. So tell me what that initial pitch was like. I mean, how did they present it to you? And how, did you, like, were you really honored that they would come to you uh, to do this? Yeah, I was honored and a little surprised. But, <laughs> but um, they, he, they have this series of books across the country in, in different cities. So Lost Restaurants of Denver and Portland and Seattle and whatnot. And um, so what he did was really he gave me complete freedom. It was like you can kind of go with it however you'd like. But with that freedom came a ton of responsibility on my own. I had to find all the pictures myself, decide which restaurants would be in this book because the publisher is not from here. They don't know Fort Worth. They don't know, you know, any, anything. So it was up to me completely. Um, so it was a, a lot of, a lot of freedom, but um, a little bit of guidance from them. So I think that made the process, um, more challenging, but more enjoyable as well. That it wasn't somebody just being really strict with what I had to do. So tell me about your review process for the book. Um, it couldn't have really been very easy, right, to narrow it down to. No. I can't remember exactly how many restaurants you chose, but um, to narrow it down to that small number. There are 26 mentioned in the book. The publisher did give a range of 15 to 30 restaurants that they typically have in these series of books. So what I did was begin to talk to folks in Fort Worth that I knew had been here for years and years, you know, maybe grew up in the 50s and and who I knew were prominent individuals in Fort Worth, community leaders, and asked them what their favorite restaurants were that they remembered back when they were growing up. And I took it from there. And a, a few folks really were super passionate about helping me. They provided lists and you've got, you've got to include this, you got to include that. I had way more restaurants than 
than 15 to 30. <laughs> so how I narrowed it down was I began doing research through Star Telegram archives to find articles about these places back, you know, 100 years ago or, or more. And I also began seeking photos. And so the ones that I could find the most information on and the most and, and photos for are the ones that are in the book. That's cool. Um, did you get any, I mean, you have a lot of positive reviews online. Um, did you get any negative feedback from people that were upset that you left a certain restaurant out? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that would happen um, because I feel folks are, are very passionate about these places about, you know, when you have a favorite restaurant that you grew up with, or maybe there's memories tied to it, it may not necessarily have been the food um, there, but it could have been the memories that were created there or the routine that you have with your family going there every Sunday. And so when these places closed, you know, these, they're kind of held to a very high standard in these people's hearts and minds. So if then they pick up this book that says Lost Restaurants of Fort Worth and their restaurant's not in there, it can be understandable that they're like, well, wait a minute, what about this place? So um, I, I, I did experience a little bit of that at various book signing events and how I would respond is that maybe there'll be a second edition one day because, um, you know, including every single place would just not be possible. But um, I, I really did try to stick with the places I kept hearing about over and over again because let me just tell you really quick, there's only two places in the book that I had actually been to and I was a, under 10 years old. Every other place in the book, I, I wouldn't. Most of them wasn't born yet, so um, it was a lot of research and interviews on my part. Do you envision um, a second volume coming out where you can add in those extra restaurants? I think if I, if there were to be a second volume, it would have to have a little different um, twist to it. I, I am interested in lost recipes of Fort Worth, maybe where you could go and highlight the ones that may have been missed the first time and, and try to include some recipes in there. But, um, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe one day it, it was, a, it definitely, it was a, a labor, a, a lot of labor of love. So it would have to be maybe a couple of years down the road, I think. Uh, so you mentioned you'd been to two of them. What are mm -hmm. those two restaurants? And then tell me another restaurant that after learning about it kind of became your favorite. Okay. So Massey's, that was um, on Eighth Avenue. That is, they were known for chicken fried steak. And you, anybody that grew up in Fort Worth, you know, that's maybe over thirty-five or forty, they they remember Massey's. Um, what's interesting about Massey's is that they're not here anymore because they really didn't change with the times as far as becoming more a little offering healthier options. When people started paying attention to cholesterol and high fat meals in the eighties and nineties that's when they ultimately were set up for their their demise. <laughs> uh, but they were known for great chicken fried steaks. The other restaurant was Zyder Z. And I didn't go to any of their original Zyder Z locations. It was a seafood restaurant. I went to a, a spinoff and, and a different owner down the road. Um, but Zyder Z's ended up being all over the country. They, their stories, they kind of grew too big and their, their quality and service suffered. And so um, eventually they went bankrupt. So, yeah, I definitely learned a lot about these places. Um, another cool restaurant, there's so many that I learned about, but the location of Lucille's right now on Camp Bowie, that was home to several really popular restaurants since the 1920s. And what's really cool, a cool story about that one is that used to be a drive-in in the um, late 20s, early 30s, and the car hops were guys because before, mm. before um, World War II, car hops were actually young men and they all went off to war and that's when women became car hops after that. Um, but people would, apparently everybody thought they were kind of 
Humphrey Bogart gangsters back then, <laughs> like in the 30s, they would walk around and act like they were going to hold up a place. So the owner of that restaurant, he would just carry around a rifle all the time. It was just normal. <laughs> it was just normal back then. And so nobody messed with him because he, he, um, they knew that he was armed. So I interviewed the son of that owner. His name was Steve Murren. And he's um, he was a great interview in the book. And so he had a lot of really cool stories about his dad's place on Camp Bowie. Um, so I thought this was pretty interesting. I think you mentioned it in your prologue. If not, I've heard you talk about it. Um, but you went on this journey kind of with your son, didn't you? Um, yeah. <laughs> where it was it was like right at the start of your pregnancy and then the end of the pregnancy is when the book wrapped up. Yeah. What was that experience like? Well, you know, they the publisher said that these books, the process typically takes six months to a year. You know, but they were really flexible on that, which was nice. Well, two weeks after I found after I agreed to do the book, I found out I was expecting my first child. So I knew that I had nine months to finish it, if not sooner, because you never know what's going to happen. So um, I was very, very, very pregnant going around <laughs> interviewing folks and going to the library at UTA. They have a special collections um, section with historic photos. So, yeah, I was there. And then I turned... I turned in the manuscript the day I went to the hospital to have the baby. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, so I, I thought it was pretty interesting. You described Fort Worth as somewhat of a melting pot. Um, and I'd always been under the impression that it kind of became this way more recently. Yeah. Um, but based on the restaurants, it seems like it began way closer to the early 1900s, right? Yeah. I, I didn't realize that either. But there were so many immigrants that were here around the turn of the century. And um, they were here because of the, the stockyards and the cattle industry for, for a lot of, for the most part. And um, there was a strong Asian influence, um, German of course, you know, some Mexican as well back then. Not Tex-Mex, really. That wasn't until a little bit later. Um, but, you know, Polish. So what surprised me really was the Asian influence. Chinese food was very popular in the early <laughs> 1900s. And even when movie stars would come here, Fort Worth was like a destination. I mean, there was like actors, Grace Kelly and, um, you know, our former presidents and Lyndon B. Johnson, they would come here a lot and they would frequent these places that um, some people may not remember these. Everyone remembers Jimmy Dips. Jimmy Dips was a Chinese restaurant mainly in the 70s here, kind of by TCU. Um, but there was um, Blue Star Inn and then there were there different cafes in the stockyards that branched out to West Fort Worth where these um, couple of chefs from China came over here and opened them. And it seems like there's kind of a resurgence of that. Um, you're seeing all these Thai places pop yeah. up and mm -hmm. uh, more restaurants. And I wonder if Fort Worth will again become that destination type place. Uh, it'd be kind of yeah. interesting if, if at the turn of the next yeah. century uh, that happens again. Um, what was the biggest, so that was the biggest surprise to me was seeing mm -hmm. the whole melting pot culture. What was the biggest surprise to you uh, researching this book? Um, well, that was, was big because I didn't realize that. I also didn't realize I, you wouldn't think that 100 years ago that it would be such a destination that it was. Um, like I said, the celebrities that would come through here, um, and especially it continued even through the 50s and 60s when the old Swiss house opened. Now, Walter Kaufman is a chef who is still alive today. I interviewed him in the book. He opened the old Swiss house in the 60s in West Fort Worth. That was, um, I mean, Barbara Walters and different <clears throat> folks that would come. It was the destination for celebrations, anniversaries, birthdays. 
and he also introduced a new level of a different type of cuisine here, fine dining. He helped people hadn't seen before, um, you know, Chateaubriand or all these French dishes that actually the culinary school Fort Worth, um, I know they teach, well, when I went there, they, they ta- mm-hmm. taught on that, that French kind of technique. So he was a, um, he was a pioneer in that, but that was surprising that to read the names of the folks that would come through here, um, you wouldn't think that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad you brought up the old Swiss house. Uh, I had a question about that. And um, it seems like a really cool place. It had this real intimate feel. Uh, you described how the owner would bring out a whole fish to yeah. the table so that people could decide if, if that's what they wanted. Um, do you think there will ever be a place like that again? Or have those places come and gone? As far as kind of like the um, fine dining, that that kind Fi- of over the top. Yeah, of, over the top yeah. service fine dining type restaurant. You know a fine dining, and it's also, this is in the book too, by the 80s and, and 90s, the white tablecloth restaurants where, you know, there's dress codes and whatnot, they started to um, decline a bit here. And now I think today in Fort Worth, we there may be just one place still that requires, um, maybe one or two that, that requires a very strict dress code. Um, folks are definitely more casual now. That's going to, having those dress code restrictions and, you know, that's going to hinder hinder I think um, patronage but we do have the places that I think of now are like Grace where Adam Jones owns that down in the or downtown Fort Worth where that level of customer service is very much top of mind to him Um, you know of course there's John Bunnell and his Bunnell's restaurant and waters and then Tim Love at Lonesome Dove Um, so while fine dining is not as prominent as it was back in the 60s and 70s, where it was almost like kind of a country club atmosphere, uh, we do still uh, – there are customers that still appreciate that that level of service today, especially amid all of the casual restaurants that are opening left and right. Uh, so I don't want to ask you too many specific I – yeah. I, I mean, I could probably ask you about every single <laughs> restaurant in the book, uh, but we do want people to read it. Um, but I just want to ask you about one more restaurant, yeah. uh, which is Carlson's, which I found pretty oh, fascinating. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, how do you think they were able to succeed in that transition from drive-in restaurant to dine-in restaurant? I think that it happened with their customer base. A lot of their customers that went to the dine-in restaurant did go there when it was a, a drive-in. And that was something else. That, I'm sorry, it slipped my mind that really surprised me about the book was this drive-in era that existed mm-hmm. in the 50s in Fort Worth. You know, you kind of think of that as in the movies only, but it was real. It was here. Folks would actually go to the drive-in and show off their cars and rev their engines <laughs> and, you know, order from car hops. And it was – there would be up to 500 cars at a time in a parking lot, which is insane. And right here by TCU and, and also in Northside and east side, there was a, a drive-in for every um, side of town. But um, I think that those – Carlson's and even Lone Star Drive-In that also made that transition. They paid attention to what their their loyal customers wanted. And as their loyal customers grew up out of that era, they wanted a little less mayhem. They wanted um, good coffee and a good good service. And so they gave them that and toned things down a bit when that whole era kind of ended. Uh, so to begin a start to wrap this up Um, i have a few questions about you uh specifically um outside of the book um and one of the cool things about you is that your career arc um within your career arc is that you went to the culinary school um Mm -hmm. culinary school fort worth 
for a completely different reason than most people would go to culinary school. I mean, you wanted to learn the backgrounds of a kitchen to help yourself writing. Um, do you think learning in the kitchen did make you a better writer? I think it definitely helped me understand, a, take a glimpse into what chefs are really um, going through back there. <laughs> I'm not saying by any means that I compare myself to those chefs or, or know exactly what happens in every kitchen, but I understood terms like working on the line and, um, you know, mise en place and all the prep that's so important. Um, I During when I went to the culinary school of Fort Worth, back then we had monthly brunches on Sunday where we had to work and serve the public. So we actually were also servers as well. And I understood how important service is to any restaurant too. And keeping water and tea glasses filled and uh, making sure that food was hot, cold food was cold, hot food was hot. Um, so yes, I, and when I'm writing about restaurants that are opening or having a new menu launch or a new chef change, I can I can have an understanding of what that means and how to better describe that to a reader of whoever I'm writing for at the time. Yeah, and, and with that knowledge, what are some of the things that you're looking for most um, when you walk into a restaurant to write about? Uh, well, you know, I... I write a few reviews I mean, every once in a while. I mainly write food news, like what's happening. And so I like to share um, a little bit about the atmosphere what, because that plays such a role in what diners are, are looking for when they decide where to go out to eat. There's so many places to go out to eat. It's not just the food that would draw them in. You know, what's the atmosphere like? And so I'd look to describe that um, a sample of what they might find on the menu as, as well as price points, because that's important too. And then, um, you know, just kind of service as well, like what they might expect for that too, because it's a, um, to go to, to whittle down all the choices and pick a place. It's disappointing to go and you have a bad experience when you could have went somewhere else or, you know, it's just, there's only so many days in the week to go out to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Is it difficult for you to go out just casually out to eat? Uh, let's say like on a date night or something. Um, or are you is are all of those things racing through your mind every time you're at a restaurant? Um, it depends on where we're going. So if it's somewhere new, I'm definitely I would consider myself being on. Um, my husband or friends know that I'm gonna have take some pictures, and so they know <laughs> to wait before they dive in. And I try not to be super annoying with that. I try to be fast <laughs> with that. Um, but if it's a regular place that we go to, or uh, you know, I I don't really. I, it's just kind of I enjoy the experience there with whoever I'm with. Uh, So as a final question for you, um, as a consumer, what is some advice that you'd give to a young chef that's looking to open up uh, their own place? Okay. Well, just, and this is just from what I've seen, I think, and talking to other chefs who are um, successful in Fort Worth and very experienced is to pick what you like and do that one thing well. Don't feel like you have to have this massive menu and cater to all different types of diners. As a diner myself, as a consumer, that's what I want. If you make a great um, ahi tuna salad or if you do a great biscuit or whatever it is, pick that and do that well and and grow from there. And I think folks will appreciate that too. They know exactly what they're going for. And um, yeah, just start there. Also, think about something a little bit different than what we have in Fort Worth. There are so many burger places 
and um, taco places, barbecue. If you're going to choose one of those items, I'm not saying you can't do well there. What's going to set you apart from the 20 other places like that in Fort Worth? So being mindful of what you're offering. And of course, probably even more than that, before you open, be sure that your service staff is on because that will make or break you within your first few days. Yeah, I I think that's great advice. So thank you so much. And it's uh, it's cool to have someone come on uh, to this podcast from the consumer's perspective. And uh, it's just, you know, a little bit of a different look uh, at the industry, which is awesome. So thank you again, Celestina, for coming on. And I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks again to Celestina Block for coming on to the podcast. Go and check out her book, Lost Restaurants of Fort Worth. It's a really interesting read, especially if you're in the Fort Worth area. Um, I think it's great. And if you enjoyed this podcast, why don't you go ahead and give us a rating, leave a review if you want right there on the iTunes page. Um, That will be really helpful for us and uh, help us to move up in the rankings there on iTunes. Um, You can also subscribe to the podcast. This way you get the latest downloads every time that we post one. Um, You can also go ahead and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. On Instagram, we're Culinary School FTW. And on Facebook, you can just search for the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Uh, On those two sites, you can keep up with all of our latest posts. This includes blog posts. Uh, podcasts, videos, pictures, uh, articles. There's a million different things we're posting every day. So uh, you'll want to go follow um, both of those pages to keep up to date with that. So thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be back in two weeks.